I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Welcome to our seventh and final video on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, today we look at that third division of the Apostles' Creed, beginning with, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I suspect some of you, uh, and you would not be alone in this, uh, view this last division as kind of the catch-all. Having mentioned God, the Creator and Father, and Jesus Christ, his incarnation, work, and death, and resurrection, uh, then it almost can feel like they just threw everything else into a, 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 sent, a little section, right? The Holy Spirit, the Church, uh, forgiveness, uh, the resurrection, why not? We'll just cover all these things at once. Uh, that could be how you have always viewed that last section, and that has led uh, some in more recent years to make the challenge that the Apostles' Creed has nothing to say about the Holy Spirit, other than just saying, oh yeah, we acknowledge he exists, but we don't really know anything about him, or we're not going to confess anything specific about him. Um, and maybe that's how you have felt as well. I think, though, that is partially due to the age in which we live. The last hundred years, 150 or so, uh, unless you're talking about the special gifts, uh, the tongues and the healings and things like that, uh, that we, we read about in, mostly in Corinthians, but uh, some in the book of Acts as well. Um, if you're not talking about those things, the attitude is almost, well, you're not talking about the Spirit at all. And that's why Charismatics and Pentecostals can say of the Reformed, that they have no understanding or thoughts regarding the Holy Spirit. But that isn't actually accurate. We just don't put all of our thoughts about the Holy Spirit into one basket, uh, speaking in tongues or visions or special gifts like that. We think far more, actually, about the work of the Holy Spirit every day and ordinarily in the believer's life and especially in his or her conversion. Uh, the Reformed tradition teaching that the Holy Spirit is instrumental in conversion itself. If, after all, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, how are we made alive so that we can even desire to see the kingdom of God? In John 3, Christ talks about those who have not been born again born of the Spirit, they cannot even see the kingdom of God. And so when we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, we can say that and understand that everything that follows that to the end of the creed has to do with the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the believer's life. And so this is actually how the majority of church history would have understood the work of the Holy Spirit in these ways. And so uh, this is a section which is highlighting that work of the Spirit under a couple of points, but really enveloping a lot of doctrine in each of these points. For example, 
We confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, and one aspect of that is believing in the forgiveness of sins. Well, wrapped up in that idea of the forgiveness of sins, we're really confessing the whole of our salvation, uh, the effectual call by which the Holy Spirit brings life to the believer's heart so that they will and do God's good pleasure by repenting and believing and seeking his pardon. So all of that is tied up when we're confessing we believe in the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is the work of the Holy Spirit uniting us to Christ in whose work we have pardon for sin. Now, there are a number of passages we could go to uh, that would direct us in this direction um, or guide us in this direction. Uh, you could think of Acts chapter 2, 38 through 39. Peter, when asked by men whose hearts are clearly stirred up by the Spirit of God to, uh, to conviction, and they ask, well, brothers, what do we do in response to this gospel? Peter responds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's this emphasis of the Holy Spirit and faith and forgiveness in one place. Uh, you'll see a similar thought in Acts chapter 10 in a very similar situation. We'll come to that in a few moments. But we can also look at a statement in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 18, reads as follows. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Repentance that leads to life. Now think about that. Repentance in the New Testament leads to forgiveness, which leads to life in the presence of God without the eternal death and condemnation of God. Uh, and how do they understand this coming to pass? God grants it. God gives us this repentance. Or we could look at 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, where we read, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some things that uh, in that verse that uh, we might want to contemplate quite a bit more but surely the last half of it is telling us very clearly that there is no true confession of faith in Christ unless the Holy Spirit has worked that confession, that faith and repentance within you. So when we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we're saying we believe in the forgiveness of sins brought about as the work of God, the Holy Spirit. We also confess we believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church. Now, uh, this is not the Holy Roman Catholic Church, big C, although they would claim it is. 
but it doesn't take much honest reading of the first uh, thousand years of church history to understand that Jerusalem and Antioch and Alexandria uh, and Con Constantinople all laid claim to being the most important head of the church, and they did not accept Rome as such. Uh, I'm not saying any of that's good. I think a curse on all their houses. Uh, Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, Alexandria were all playing a power game when they were, they should have, instead of been saying, I'm first, been saying, we are the Church of Christ. Um, so when we confess the Apostles' Creed, we're not saying the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Catholic here with a lowercase c means universal. Why not just change it to Holy Universal Church? Well, some have done that. Uh, I do know in at least one instance, a church that did that thinking it would make things clearer led to a couple of people coming and asking their elders, are we then universalist? See, the reality is these terms will always have a negative connotation as well as the positive that will confuse people. The point is we need to be able to explain what we mean. So the Holy Catholic or Universal Church of Jesus Christ, that is, as the New Testament declares it, from all tribes, tongues, nations, and people throughout all of time who believe in Jesus Christ and are saved. In the Old Testament, saints like David and Abraham, Daniel and Isaiah, Ruth and Esther and Sarah and so forth, these all were united to Christ. How? Well, the Holy Spirit worked faith in them, anticipating faith in Christ, looking ahead to him. The Holy Spirit worked this through the sacrifices and other shadows and types that looked ahead, that painted a picture of Christ who was yet to come. In the New Testament, of course, we no longer need those types and shadows and bloody offerings, for one blood has been shed, the blood of Christ, and we remember him. We look back in the sacraments, we still have the, the type that points us, and the sacraments point us to Christ. Baptism, to the remission of sins which we receive by grace alone, in the blood of Christ alone, received by faith alone. In the Lord's Supper, we remember that same thing, his death for us. Well, the Holy Spirit uniting us to Christ's body. He never unites someone to Christ as a believer without the intention that they are united into the people of God. Think of Acts chapter 2, 38 through 39 again. Remember that there we have the Holy Spirit, we have faith, and we have then, with the forgiveness of sins, the sign, the outward sign that points to the reality, the outward sign that cannot save, but the outward sign which does unite to the visible church of Christ, baptism. And the result in the rest of that chapter None of those people are going off on their own and saying, well, I've got Jesus now. I've got all I need. What they say is, in Christ, we have all we need. 
And so they worship together, Acts 2, 42. And they live and serve Christ together, Acts 2, 43 and following. We see a, a parallel passage in Acts chapter 10, 44 through 48. This one was just referenced when we heard of the Jews celebrating that the Gentiles had received the spirit of uh, the God working uh, repentance in them as well. And that's a reflection of the Jews upon the events of Acts chapter 11. So I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10. So Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches to these Gentiles and we read, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And so Peter declares, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain some days. You see, what we see there is, is Peter reflecting, if the Holy Spirit has brought salvation, then the Holy Spirit is engrafting them into the church. So they ought to be visibly engrafted in through the sign of baptism. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins. Um, I, I skipped one, didn't I? The communion of the saints. And that is, of course, tied into the Holy Catholic Church. We are to be a communion, a body, a fellowship. Acts 2, Acts 10. And then we have the resurrection of the body. Is the resurrection of the body also tied to the work of the Holy Spirit? Yes, it is. Uh, you can read 1 Corinthians 15 to reflect on this, that we are guaranteed a resurrection body in the likeness of Christ's resurrection body because we're united to him. But perhaps the most direct thought on this comes from Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And there we read, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The resurrection of the dead is the work of the Holy Spirit. He who dwells in us now will raise us up on the last day so that we will meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 11. Speaking of which, we come to that last thing, the life everlasting. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. It is the spirit who unites our bodies and souls to Christ not just temporarily, not so that we can lose it, but eternally united. And there in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 11, we discover that having been raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, we join the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Eternal life. I believe all of this glorious work of the Holy Spirit within every single believer, not just among an elite few, 
a work that can seem perhaps a little less glamorous than having an elite version speaking in tongues, some kind of special second blessing type thing. No, I believe in the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit redeeming and renewing and bringing into union with Christ and all the benefits of that. This is what we're confessing. This is what I believe. Amen, says the Apostles' Creed. That is, so be it. The Apostles' Creed is confessing God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, as the Nicene Creed and later creeds will expli more explicitly emphasize, who are one God forever to be worshipped and adored. Amen, so be it. Well, thank you for joining me in this series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I hope that you have benefited and found it helpful in thinking through this creed, in understanding uh, a little more clearly what the historic church has confessed. Historic. In our day, not many churches confess all these things anymore, but that doesn't make it the minority. The majority in the history of the church has confessed this creed and upheld these things. May you continue to grow in your knowledge of God, the Holy Trinity, and the truth which he reveals in his inspired word, the Bible, which is the very word of God. And may God bless you.